Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Providence Money Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Isaac, Associate Advisor at Providence. Joined with me today is Tan Chunhui, who is our Solutions Specialist at Providence, and Ma Jiamin, our Insurance Executive. Hi guys. Hi, Hi. Isaac. Before we begin the podcast, let's talk a little more about your provident journey so far. So to all our listeners who may not be aware, uh, Jiamin and Chunhui joined Provident this year. So let's start with Chunhui. How has your journey been so far? Well, it's great. It has been more than five months since I joined. The colleagues here are very helpful and uh, friendly. The culture is very family-oriented mm. and the work that I do is interesting and is in line with my strong interest in personal finance. Yeah, so prior to joining Provident, could you ex- uh, let our listeners know like, uh, what is your background and uh, what, what you have been doing? Uh, yes, uh, my education and career background has always been in engineering. During the initial years, I already in- developed a strong interest in personal finance uh, subjects. And uh, since I left my previous company uh, nine years ago, uh, and I begin to explore and more into the financial aspect, uh, and and then I join, uh, get involved, and become active in the uh, personal finance uh, community, like the One M Six Five, the CPF uh, volunteering, and the Sydney uh, community. And then last year I. Uh, came across Providence advertisement for associate advisor position. I applied and went through interviews and eventually I was fortunate to, to be accepted into the Providence family. Uh, so uh, you applied for the associate advisor role, but uh, in the end we joined as a solution specialist. La. Yes, that's right. Uh, I see. Okay. At Providence, you know, the way we hire usually, um, yes, you may be applying for this role, but during the interview process, we see that... Um, uh, you could be more suitable for another role, and the most important thing is whether um, you know people that join us are aligned with our values, lah. So, Jiamin, what about yourself? Um, how has your journey been so far? Yeah, it's been great. Uh, I've been with Provident for exactly three months today, so today is my confirmation. All right. <laughs> yeah. So prior to joining Provident, I actually spent around ten years doing project management for the Singapore Armed Forces, and in oh. twenty yeah in twenty twenty one because of a personal life circumstance, la, I had to read through my insurance statements. Uh, and that was the first time I actually read through the statements carefully after I bought the policies. And then I realized that I've been sold many unsuitable uh, insurance products for my own needs, which prompted me to, to you know, study more into the insurance topic. La. So eventually, I became an insurance agent because I believe I can offer uh, better insurance advice to my friends and family. Um, but a few months into the sales journey, I, I reflected and I feel that uh, doing sales is actually not my strength. I'm actually more suited to be in a support and solutions role, which uh, brings me here to Providence. Uh, the company culture and the kindness of the people here have been very inspiring for me so far. Right, so yeah. uh, from your experience to being so uh, unsuitable, Products it kind of lit a fire in you, like you know, and you you wanted to to try to help as many people or the people around you at least to try to rectify any potential financial pitfalls that they might have fallen into, la. Yeah, that's right. So thank you so much for sharing. Today's topic is children's education. Of course, both of you are from the solutions team, but we have strategically chosen both of you because, uh, like myself, you both had 
uh, overseas education experience. So uh, I'll just start with uh, sharing my own experience, lah, having a UK education from 2015 to 2018. So I have the privilege to have my education funded by my parents, both the tuition costs and living expenses. So during the course of study, I was really able to focus all my attention to my studies. And upon graduation, I have no debts to clear, lah. So uh, Chunhui, could you share a little? Bit about your overseas education. Yeah, my U.S. education was in 1988 to 1990. Uh, I was doing my master degree in U.S. I was very fortunate that uh, my my U.S. Uh, education was covered by scholarship. My U.S. education actually helped me a lot in my career. Uh, my last job uh, involved developing products for global markets and also managing multiple teams in different countries. And we all know that the uh, U.S. is a technology leader uh, in the world. And so it gives me the technical foundation and also the insight into product development. Uh, so it prepared me very well in guiding the teams. And also this overseas exposure opened my eyes in foreign culture And that helps me in interacting and managing uh, people from different countries and different cultures. Thanks for sharing, Chun Hui. Um, I think Jia Min also uh, also had a scholarship, so I just realized I'm surrounded by scholars. Uh, so Jia Min, uh, could you just briefly also share um, your overseas education experience? Yeah. So like yourself, I also studied in the UK uh, from 2004 to 2008 with a government scholarship. So also very lucky with with this scholarship, I also can focus on my studies. Uh, no need to worry about the tuition fees, the living expenses, and also I graduated in two thousand and eight, which is uh, everyone know is the great financial crisis. So it it's actually a blessing to secure a job prior to even graduating. Okay, thanks for sharing, guys. Uh, so let's go. Let's dive deep into today's topic. Uh, so Chunhui, could you explain what is Providence Education Planning philosophy? At Provident, the guiding principle of our all our planning is to first make life decision before making financial decision. So, uh, children education planning is no exception. Before we plan the financial for children education, we need to ask ourselves a few of the life questions. So, questions like when will your children grow up and attend uh, university? Uh, where will they study locally or overseas, and what kind of uh, course of study they will undertake? So these are live questions that we need to sort out before we look at the the financial goal. You know, it's so many different factors, right? You mentioned uh, uh, when will they go. Uh, where will they go? Which course, etc. You know, to study until how far? So, due to the multitude of different variables that is involved in education planning, it's very good that you wrote a two-part article recently, um, titled "Wealth Planning for Your Child's Tertiary Education." So, for listeners who are interested, the link will be made available in the description of this podcast. In the first part of your article, you have quite a number of key findings that are really interesting. So one of it is the difference between the cost of education for different countries. 
Could you share with our listeners what you found from your research on this? Yeah, the total cost of university education in different countries, it can range from under 100,000 to almost 1 million uh, Sing dollar today. Um, just to clarify, because our research focuses on the top universities, so uh, because we want to set a more conservative financial goal uh, for our planning. So this range could be on the high side, but nevertheless, the costliest country is still US and followed by UK, Australia and Singapore. Not forgetting that uh, the cost I mentioned is today's numbers. Uh, it will escalate in the future due to inflation. And the, for the overseas education, there's another factor, which is the currency exchange rate. Right, so for myself personally, I studied in the UK. I studied in Newcastle. Um, but I mean, you mentioned that just now you studied in London. La. The cost of living uh, may vary even within the same country. So I mean, you know, when you were in London, do you travel to different parts of the UK? And what's the cost of living like compared to London? Uh, my friends and I, we actually screamed and saved on our daily expenses so that we save enough to do some backpacking and travelling. Uh, within UK itself, I, I believe the food and transport costs are quite similar across cities. Mm. And also, uh, these expenses are partly personal lifestyle choice and can be controlled. Uh, but something that I realised that cannot be controlled uh, and the cost a major difference in expenses is in rent. So, uh, London rents are much higher compared to other cities, and especially my university is in Zone 1 of London, which is the central part and the most expensive part of London. So I got uh, 800 over pounds per month of allowance from my scholarship, and actually half of that already went to rent. Uh, my friends in other cities where their universities provide university housing, or in cities where rent are lower, definitely had a lower cost of living and in fact, the scholarship allowance for other UK cities were lower during my time there compared to London. So Chunhui, uh, based on Jamin's point, uh, did your research take into account differing costs of living within the same country? So for example, like Jamin mentioned, the rent in London is uh, a lot more expensive than, say, Newcastle. Or is it just, you know, the median cost? There will be difference in living, cost of living in different cities and different countries. But our research on cost of living, we take the information from each of the university portal. And then we take an average of the cost of living uh, from the selected uh, universities that we have covered in those uh, countries. So yeah, we are taking the average cost. Okay, thanks for clarifying, uh, Chunhui. So in your research, you also found that there are huge differences between medicine and non-medicine courses. So why is this so? Uh, medicine courses are more expensive than the non-medicine one, uh, mainly due to two factors. The first one is the medicine course itself uh, has higher tuition fee. Uh, the running cost of medical school is higher because of a few factors. Uh, first, the faculty and the staff are highly qualified and they command higher salaries. Uh, secondly, the medical education requires specialized facilities, laboratories, and equipment. And this results in higher cost of maintenance, and uh, you need to do regular upgrade to maintain leading edge in medicine field. The second factor is actually the medicine costs generally have a longer duration. 
Um, so you multiply by the number of years uh, study in medical school, uh, that translate to higher tuition fees. Right. So to put it simply, the cost is more expensive and it's longer, lah. Yes. Another point from your research that I noted is that your team recommends that we use an inflation rate of four percent for tuition fees, and even though tuition fees inflation varies from country to country, so why why do you think or rather why do you use four percent as a baseline across all countries? From our research, we saw that the tuition fee inflation rate vary from two point five percent to five percent across different countries as well as different universities. For overseas universities, there is an added uncertainty in currency exchange rate that will affect tuition fee inflation in Singapore dollar terms. To address this complexity and uncertainty in tuition fee projection, we suggest using four percent as a baseline inflation rate to simplify the process of projecting the tuition fee due to inflation, and we add a buffer amount to cater for possible SGD. Fluctuation against the targeted foreign currency, right? So currency rate is actually a very important point that you brought up, lah. So tell me, um, just curious, when you were studying in the in London from uh two thousand four to two thousand eight, right? You mentioned so roughly what was the pound to SGD exchange rate? Uh, yeah. When I first arrived in two thousand and four, the exchange rate was more than three uh, Singapore dollars to oh, one wow. British pound. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So when I buy milk, right? Wow, times three. <laughs> <laughs> don't dare to drink but uh, I graduated in the year of the GFC as I mentioned just now right and um, in that year the pound weakened against the Sing dollars uh, quite significantly and by the end of 2008 I believe the rate has dropped to less than 2.2 Sing dollar to 1 British pound yeah, yeah. so I think it stayed about 2.2 um, so I I went to the UK in 2015 uh, 2.2 was roughly the rate that I got uh, but as we all know, in 2016, Brexit happened. Uh, so the following year, I saw a huge discount <laughs> in my uh, tuition fee because the, uh, you know, they didn't really adjust the fees then. Like, it was too quick. From 2.2 SGD to 1 GBP, it dropped to about 1.8, 1.7, 1 1.8 SGD to 1 GBP. Uh, it's definitely a huge factor and, and it's great that uh, you know, your research really uh, covered this with so many moving parts, how do we circumvent miscalculating for our children's education? You know, as just now, um, you know, myself and Xiaomi, we shared like currency can fluctuate um, and, and tuition fee inflation is not really a fixed, a fixed rate. You know, it's not linear every year. So how do we circumvent this um, potential pitfall when it comes to calculating for our children's education? Yes, we need to recognize that the target education fund amount is an estimate at best due to all those uh, moving parts. Therefore, we need to regularly review and revise the target amount amidst the changes in education needs, university landscapes, inflation rates, and currency movement. Right, so Chunhui, it's important to, to always uh, regularly review your plan. Um, so, of course, as a starting point, we'll use four uh, percent uh, tuition uh, fee inflation and three percent inflation, but uh, you know we project maybe we're um, planning for student education that occurs in fifteen years time. But of course, along the way, maybe every year or every two years, it's, it's really important to relook at the plan and adjust accordingly. So over time, uh, if there's any significant changes, we can adapt 
our you know our financial plan to it. Yes. So Chunfi, in the second part of your article, you suggested five steps to plan for children's education. So very briefly, what are these five steps? Sure. The first step would be to take stock of what you have and how much you can commit to your children's education goal. Step two is to determine how much you need to save and invest towards your goal. And step three, to select an appropriate investment vehicle based on your risk tolerance, time horizon, and expected returns. The fourth step would be to regularly review your goal and monitor your investment returns against the goal. If necessary, adjust your wealth plan to cater for changing uh, circumstances. And if you are not comfortable with wealth planning and investing on your own, you should consider engaging a trusted wealth advisor to guide you in creating a plan specific to your situation. That makes sense because I'm sure there's a lot of ambiguities when it comes to children education planning. For example, we wouldn't know what courses our children will be studying, their future preference for local or overseas education, or to what degree level they want to attain. So how do we approach saving and investing for children's education in that case? So for example, should they um, start early or should they wait until they can make a good guess? Like, you know, wait until your kid is maybe in secondary school or, or, or you kind of see what his interest is in and then we make a good guess from there. Uh, yes, it takes time to grow your investment and the earlier you set aside the fund for your children's education, the less capital you need to commit upfront or you don't need to chase after a higher return from your investment. So it is good to start early with a ballpark target and as your children grow over the years, you revise the goal and the plan accordingly. Of course, the ideal situation if um, you know all your kids get a scholarship like yourself and Jamila. Sure, so, sure, but you yeah. can't plan for scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that'll be but but that, that puts a lot of pressure on the kids So I mean, did your parents save up for education, and how did they feel when you attained your scholarship? I would suppose they were over the moon la. Uh, yeah, uh, my mom is a housewife and my dad was the only breadwinner, uh, the breadwinner of the family. So we have a single income family and I have two elder siblings. Um, my family's financial situation actually didn't allow for any extra savings for education. So when I got the scholarship, I'm sure my parents were proud and also relieved because now that the youngest child is also finally independent of their financial support. Okay, so hypothetically in cases where parents saved up for an overseas education but their kids got a scholarship. So what do parents, or rather what should parents do with the excess money they will have? I mean, they, they, they saved up uh, maybe 50k for their kids' tuition fees and then in the end they got, the kid got a scholarship. Um, what should they do with this money? Uh, well, parents can uh, reallocate the excess money to other needs or hold it as a contingency fund to your children' education needs is fully met. Right, that's a, that's a good point because I think there are a lot of uh, cases where, or at least 
from my experience where a lot of my peers actually changed course. You know, when they went to the UK, they uh, halfway they felt that the course is not for them, it's not what they, they thought it would be, uh, and then they have to change course. La. So if the parents thought that, you know, uh, wow, actually I have this excess money, uh, I'm just going to fund my other goals or and not or, or, or not hold it as contingency. Um, this is one of the one of a factor that could really, you know, cause them to have a shortfall uh, eventually. Yeah, I agree, Isaac. Yeah, in fact, uh, I I think at the age of nineteen or twenty one, for those guys who need to go to NS, we have to recognize that it's still a very early age for people to have identified their career paths. So personally, I have seen my fellow scholar friend who got attracted to working in the city of London as a as an investment banker and broke his scholarship contract in his oh final no. years of study. He, he, so he broke it yeah. uh, when he was still under bond. Correct. So he signed up to be an engineer of the government, right? And then he, you know, when you go overseas, you get more exposure to the... Uh, work opportunities uh, available overseas, right? And then you go for a few internships. Uh, it makes you know your aspirations clearer, right? And uh, so on. other than this friend, I also know of other scholars who realise that they don't want to do scientific research after getting a scholarship sponsor all the way to the PhD level. Yeah. So uh, in this case, I, I think it's prudent for parents whose children have a scholarship to keep in mind the possibility of their children wanting to change course or wanting a different career path than what they originally signed up for and consider holding on to the fund they have prepared until after their children graduate or finish their bond. Right, that makes sense. I think this also applies to those that say that for even uh, overseas or local education um, to always consider that uh, things can always change. Um, So just... Uh, try to hold on to it until they are independent. Yeah. Chun Hui, what do you think? As the saying goes, the only concern is change. A plan, however solid it is, can be derailed by changes in circumstances. So the key to deal with such uncertainty is to monitor the change and adjust the plan accordingly from the parent's perspective. Right. So the takeaway from this episode is that there's really a lot of moving parts and like what Chun Hui uh, mentioned, the only concern is change. Um, you know, there's there is uh, factors of currency fluctuation. There's different inflation rates that are not linear across different countries. Uh, we have to consider uh, what's our children's preferences, and even when they have a preference, this preference could change. That's why Junhui, you keep mentioning that uh, regularly reviewing um, your plan is very prudent, and of course, do not make this plan in isolation to your overall wealth plan. Um, so not to plan this in isolation because you really, yeah, you, you, you know, the first step is to really see how much resources you can commit to this plan. So this one has to be done in conjunction with your overall wealth plan also in terms of children education planning. If you don't mind me asking a more uh, personal question, uh, let's start with Jamin. <laughs> right, so Jamin, you are a parent. Yeah, I have two children. You have two um, kids. The other one is 11 this year. The younger one is eight years old. Right. Yeah. So let me put you on the spot here. Uh, if you don't mind sharing, uh, what have you planned uh, for your kids in terms of children education? Based on my resources, I can only plan for a local education for my children. Hopefully, if they want to go overseas, they can get a scholarship like myself. Um, but 
I'm very glad that uh, after Chung Hui's article is out, I realized that I've been doing the the steps that he he mentioned the article. Uh, so take note of my resources. Then every month, you know, um, put into a RSP the amount of money that I can commit to that uh, fund, and then uh, let it grow and compound using passive index funds. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Jamin, for sharing. Uh, so what about you, Chunvi? Yeah, I have two sons as well. Uh, the elder one is now studying in university. Uh, I'm blessed that he is studying under scholarship right now, so I don't have to worry too much about the the cost. My younger son is in the army right now. Uh, my plan for him is same as Jamin to cater for local educations. If he wants to go to uh, overseas. I think he ever mentioned he was thinking of going to Japan. But I told him, uh, you either get a scholarship or you seek financial assistance from the university there. Right, Chunhui. So uh, we, are, we wish him all the best in his journey to uh, learn Japanese. So um, this concludes our episode. Thank you so much, Chunhui and Jiamin, for really taking the time today to be my guest. And also... To both you and your team's extensive work behind the scenes to ensure that we provide the best wealth advice we can for our clients. To all our listeners, I hope you enjoyed our discussion on children's education planning. If you like this episode, follow our podcast and follow us on social media for similar contents. As always, thank you for listening and I'll see you in the next episode. All analysis, views or opinions from interviews, recommendations and other information broadcasted, podcasted or published herein are provided for general information purposes only. Information expressed does not take into account any specific situation, particular needs or objectives and should not be construed as specific advice or a recommendation. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal or tax professional before taking any action. Provident Limited does not accept any liability for any loss whatsoever arising from any of use of the information broadcasted, broadcasted or published herein. All contents and information contained herein may not be copied or reproduced in whole or in part by any means without prior written consent of Provident Limited.